Why do we exist? Were we created with a purpose? Or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to The Universe Next Door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. The Universe Next Door is supported by the C.S. Lewis Society, Trinity College of Florida, and supported by gifts from listeners just like you. Discover more resources and continue the conversation at apologetics.org. And now, your host, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome to the Universe Next Door, and thank you for joining us, uh, whether you are listening over the radio or to our podcast, which, by the way, make sure you share that podcast with somebody uh, whom you would like to hear the defense for the Christian faith. Well, we're going to jump into uh, a previous interview between Dr. Tom Woodward and renowned apologist and author Dr. Jim Sire, who, in fact, the Universe Next Door program is, is named after one of the books he had written. Uh, so join us as we jump into this awesome interview and let us know if you have any questions or comments at information at apologetics.org. So, but we are excited to be able to bring to you uh, cutting edge information. So it's a really a special treat for me to have on the program today from his home in Downers Grove area, I guess the North Chicago area in Illinois, the author and the speaker, campus speaker, apologist, James Sire. Dr. Jim Sire, welcome to our program. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, Tom. I'm John Lennon speaking from the <laughs> next door. Wait, this isn't the metaphysical show. Uh oh. Well, that sounds like a lot a lot like Dr. James Sire as I as I know Jim Sire to sound like, at least Oh shuck. <laughs> Your imitation needs some work there. <laughs> well, hey, you know, let me just ch- let me bring some humor in. It's kind of a, it's always fun to bring a light side to apologetics because it tends to be kind of a heady intellectual, you know, type of topic to to dive into. But you I know from emails and chats that we've had even though you're an author of so many books, and I hate, I hate to say I don't know them all, but I know that you, of course, are author of the wonderful book that I've been recommending to everybody as the most important apologetics book that you can ever own, and that's The Universe Next Door. And, of course, you've written so many other books. But what I love about Jim Sire is that you go and you actually interact with your friends at Starbucks. Now, this is not a paid Starbucks commercial, but I think that's really tremendous. Now, tell us a little bit about how you got into, I mean, how long have you been doing Starbucks interaction with uh, your friends and your discussion partners? Tell us a little bit about how you got into that. Well, it's been a number of years, and the group that uh, I was involved with for a few of those years have sort of disbanded, and right now I have maybe just two or three or four people who occasionally show up, but it became a a sort of a natural result of going to Starbucks for coffee and uh, having a neighbor who is also a believer who knew me from uh, that connection, and we got to chatting about things, and people started to come around the edges of us, and uh, we, uh, at one time, we had a really quite a good group of, of folk who would uh, chat about a variety of things, and when uh, something religious came up or something Christian came up, then uh, it was an opportunity to, to uh, spark further discussion in that area. Wow. And so the, the uh, presentation and the living out, I might say, of Christ, the presentation of faith in Christ and the living out of your Christian faith has been something that's really led you into other lives. And, and I, I really appreciate that, and I, I want to recognize that and, and thank you for setting a, an example to us 
And uh, we really want to go right in quickly to the first book that really we have been talking about on the program recently. We try to highlight it every opportunity we get, and that is your universe, your book, The Universe Next Door, which uh, I, I believe is in, is it in its fourth edition? It's in its fourth edition, mm-hmm. yes. And that fourth edition is is just, you know, fantastic. I'm actually using it in a course that I'm teaching on Monday nights here, starting the end of January, at uh, Idlewild Baptist Church. And so The Universe Next Door is a book, not about not so much about the physical data of the universe, but it's about the universe of worldviews. Can you tell us about what The Universe Next Door, in a nutshell, for those who don't know the book, you know, uh, really closely, tell us what it's about. Well, it's a we call it a catalog of worldviews, mm-hmm. and uh, that means that we're looking at the perspectives with which people come to their their lives, the views that they take, the uh, presuppositions that they make about what the world is like, and maybe listing them would be helpful just to get an idea of what we're talking about. Okay, I start out with the Christian worldview uh, because that's really what the Western world and the United States. And uh, the rest of the Western world was founded on back in the Middle Ages and uh, the Renaissance and the Reformation and so forth. And then I move to the deism, which is a kind of decayed form of uh, uh, Christian mm-hmm. deism. That mm-hmm. is, it's it's the Christian worldview minus some very important factors, mm-hmm. very important elements. Right. And then uh, the next worldview I discuss is naturalism which is a further removal of the Christian worldview. Even naturalism is actually based on much of, the, of, what, uh, Christi- uh, on much of Christianity. Hmm. And then to nihilism, which is the final wind-down of what happens when you lose, you begin to lose the center of uh, reality and the existence of God. Eventually, you end up in nihilism. And then I look at uh, responses to nihilism, in such things as existentialism uh, and a turning away from the Western world into some form of Eastern religion, uh, and then finally come up to some later twists in the dominant university worldview, which is naturalism, mm-hmm. that occurs in postmodernism. So that's basically uh, what it is. There's also, I've neglected to mention, the uh, New Age worldview, mm-hmm. which is a result of a blending of uh, Western naturalism, Western and uh, Western Christianity, with Eastern mysticism. Wow. So that's essentially what the the book is about. And it's been, you know, really become a textbook, and used used in colleges and seminaries and even high schools. But it's also a book that's pretty. I mean, if I can just go ahead and put it in, the, in these terms, I could hardly put it down. I mean, when I read, and I think I had, I forget if it was the first or second edition, and I was on my way, I don't know, Jim, if I've told you the story, but I was on the way to lecture to faculty at the University of Pennsylvania on worldviews. And I thought to myself, hmm, I've been meaning to really get into Jim Sire's book for 10 or 15 years. <laughs> I'd actually been recommending it without reading it, and I finally decided, this is, it's now or never. So on the plane on the way up, I thought, well, I'll supplement my, my, my outline, and I wound up reading almost two-thirds of it on the plane and then the hour or two afterwards, and I wound up scrapping my outline completely, and instead I, I created a lecture based on your book. 
Wow. <laughs> and the stu- <laughs> and the, the faculty loved it. And they said, now, what's that book? And so uh, I've been a, a real fan of The Universe Next Door. I say it's the most important uh, book on apologetics next to the Bible. So, uh, so there's one book that I recommend slightly more. If you could just tell us a little bit about the response to the universe next door. I mean, have you heard about people who've been really impacted by it in their own thinking, in their own lives, either here or overseas? I think it's in quite a few foreign editions. Yes, it is. I think uh, 15 or 16 different languages. My goodness. Um, The response has been various. For one thing, an early response was simply a person down in Decatur, Illinois, finding it in the library, having also already read Francis Schaeffer, uh, reads my book, and that's the final door from his uh, doubt and unfaith into belief. And he later, on, later comes in and studies, uh, studies philosophy. Wow. The same thing happened, in a way, uh, in my ministry in Czechoslovakia. A young man who came to a, a meeting at Charles University, and uh, he was one of two people who were not believers. In fact, he was the most seemingly unbeliever of the two, and he's the one who became the believer and later on went to study theology. So there was those personal hmm. uh, impact. The other impact is that the book immediately got a- adopted as a textbook in many universities in introductions to philosophy and theology. Well, that's encouraging because, you know, the the book is written in a way that it can be handed out on a on a university campus. I mean, a secular university campus could accept that book straight out as just a good, accurate, full, you know, robust description of each of these major worldviews, and that's so important. Because and it's been used that way mm-hmm. at University of Rhode Island, for mm-hmm. instance, mm-hmm. and uh, several other places. So we are dealing with uh, not only issues that pertain to scientific data, but also the bigger picture, the worldview picture, the picture of how Christians should present their case. Apologetics, of course, is the study, that area that studies how Christians can make a, uh, explain the reason for the hope that's within them, and and derives its inspiration from that great passage in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. So we have on the phone with us today one of the great apologists of our era, a, an author of many, many books through InterVarsity Press and perhaps uh, through other media overseas especially. And so we are delighted to have Jim Sire, Dr. James Sire. I know you, uh, Jim, as Jim. Is that okay to address you that way? Absolutely. Okay, I appreciate that. Uh, we've been talking about your award-winning and really classic book, The Universe Next Door, which is mandatory reading, as I always tell audiences when I deal with apologetics, because it explains so clearly, and it's such a winsome, it's fun to read, but you get a tremendous education uh, while you're enjoying it. Uh, the University Next Door explains the major worldviews, these sets of beliefs and assumptions and heart commitments that really have come to dominate as the major options on the university campuses and really throughout the Western culture generally. But we've also, of course, been hearing uh, about, and I've been reading up on some of your other recent writings, and I'm wondering if we could just hop right into a book that I've used as a textbook 
at Trinity College about a year ago, I taught a seminar on second, you might say the second phase of apologetics, advanced apologetics, but I had two students in that course that really had not had the basic course on apologetics, and both the advanced students and those basic students, all of them loved your new book, which came out just about a year ago, Why Good Arguments uh, Often Fail. Now, I don't have that book in front of me. As I was running out of the class and running into my office to come here, I I forgot to grab the book from the shelf. Did I get the title correct? Yes, that's correct. Mm. Why why good arguments often fail. Okay. And tell us a little bit about what inspired the book and what it's like in a nutshell. What is the purpose? What's the big idea of the book uh, as you see it? Well, Tom, uh, <laughs> contrary to the very kind words that you said about uh, my ministry, uh, I could have titled this book um, Confessions of a Failed Apologist. <laughs> We're all in that boat, okay? <laughs> We're all learning. Now, the question that rises every time you have these failures is why? Mm-hmm. And so this is really a book about why arguments, even when they are good, uh, don't uh, oftentimes simply do not persuade. Mm-hmm. And uh, that brings us back to the very first thing you talked about, and that is the issue of worldviews. And the most significant reason why an argument fails, I think, is the commitment of the person with whom you're uh, discussing things to uh, a view that is so different, so alternate, so opposite, uh, so opposed to Christian faith that it's hard for them to hear the rationality, the reasonability, the uh, uh, attractiveness of uh, the Christian message. So really, you have to be sensitive to the mental or, you might say, uh, philosophical glasses, the pink or the rose-colored or the green-colored, whatever, glasses through which they peer at reality. And so uh, what are what are some of the, the discoveries that you made and that you included in this book, uh, Why Good Ar- Arguments Often Fail? Well, one of the things that I try to do is to uh, encourage people to listen to the person who's talking and uh, the person you're dialoguing with and pay attention to what they say and then ask the question behind it, why do you think that, why do you believe that, and oftentimes that this preconceptions that they have, it becomes revealed to them that these preconceptions are perhaps not as solidly founded as they thought they were. Hmm. Uh, I am frequently run into the people who say, well, listen, I don't have to be a Christian to be good, and that raises a whole kind of uh, set of issues. That where then do you get your notion of what the goodness actually is? Mm-hmm. And how would you decide that your conception of goodness was really better than somebody else's when you're dealing with an extremely important issue, like, for instance, abortion or, uh, or a war or justification for incarceration of uh, a criminal? Why is it good to do that and not, uh, not good not to? Or why shouldn't they be incar- mm-hmm. incarcerated and so forth? So you're trying to look at the foundations on the basis of which other people are disagreeing with you, get beneath them, and try to see if they can be undercut in some way, that doubt can be inserted into their own self-belief. Well, what, what do you say when someone says, well, uh, that's you know your Christian faith, that's just fine for you? But uh, we all arrive uh, to our own idea of truth, and so you can have your truth, and I'll have my truth. And, and sometimes you'll even say, people will say, there is no absolute truth else out there at all, and it's even hard to uh, uh, 
even speak with one another because we have our own language and and there's no real common language so we just create our own truth with our own language system what do you say when people try to throw you a curveball like that well it's not really all that much of a curveball it's uh, it's going to miss the plate even as it's as it's pitched because the the uh, uh, issues that you have to address for your own belief are issues that if the, that you can't just take any old view and have it be the way things, have it work out. And the, the uh, question that really one needs to address somewhere along the line in, the, in your conversation is, why do you think, what do you think is going to happen to you at death, and why do you think that? Mm. And some people will say, well, it depends on what you believe about it. Uh, but then if you analyze does your belief, say, in reincarnation actually guarantee that you're going to be reincarnated? Does your belief that you're going to cease to exist at death actually mean that that causes you to cease? Or is there something that lies behind that really is going on whether you believe it or not? Hmm. And most people will acknowledge that, uh, oh, oh, hmm, I guess maybe that one... That one has to have an answer, or at mm-hmm. least there has to be a truth or falsity about it. Yeah. So it's trying to get moving to move one from the notion of utter relativism to the notion that well, we may not know the answer, yeah. but there is one way, and if it is that way, then it can't be the other way. Mm-hmm. And of course, the issue of what happens to someone, to a human being, when they die is, as you say so clearly in your book, The Universe Next Door, one of the, I think it was seven, key questions that in your, I know you could expand it to, you know, nine or eleven or whatever, but the seven key questions that are hallmarks of any given worldview. So really, anybody, if they if they take one of those major worldviews, will have an answer to the question of what happens to you when you die, or at least some idea Right, except maybe ne- right. except will, maybe nihilism. They will take a stance of some sort, mm-hmm. and uh, the question is: Is that stance true mm-hmm. or not? And how do you know? And how do you know? Okay, well, that really kind of helps people to gingerly face the importance of their own worldview and how to test their worldview. Um, I don't know if you knew uh, Dr. Jim Sires, the one we're interviewing today. We're so privileged to have uh, such an amazingly um, prolific author through InterVarsity Press with us on the phone. But, Jim, did you know that my very first talk I ever gave when I was actually in a, my second year, I think it actually was my first year at seminary, my first talk I ever gave was how to test a religious experience. Oh, very good. Very very difficult. Well, that was my title, and I used, and I'll go ahead and entertain you for a moment, I used as my illustration the group, that the the cult group that was called um, the Divine Light Mission. I don't know if you remember them. From the, from the 1970s. They had right. a guru, Maharishi G, this little teenage boy that went around and sat on a, a purple satin pillow and oh, yes. you know, had people, you know, a coterie of, of followers, you know, that carried him or whatever. And it's been a pe- long time since I've heard of him. Yes, well, I think he's passed from the scene or maybe he's just tucked away in the mountains of India or something. But uh, I asked people to, uh, why, do, why do you hold to this, uh, this cult? And they said, well, because I can actually have visions, divine light, and when I press on my, gently press on my eyeballs and and say this little prayer, and I said, well, you can actually get the same patterns of interesting colored lights if you just press on your eyeballs without the prayer. 
because that's called FOS genes. That's a phenomenon <laughs> that you can call that is caused by either chemical or mechanical stimulation. But anyway, I don't think the uh, the students really were wowed by my talk, but it was my first attempt to literally to test these kinds of questions. So, uh, in in the book, why good arguments often fail, you and I had an interesting dialogue. Could you just tell a little bit about that? And I think it's really wonderful that you would honor me by printing our my email in your footnote there. Oh, you mean uh, the, the, the views that we take when we understand our relationship to the arguments for intelligent design? Exactly, and, yes. Uh, I, th- I think the, the, the audience would, would enjoy that. Well, I thought, Tom, you probably wouldn't ask me that. Oh, because, no, I, I think it's wonderful. <laughs> because you, you and I have slightly different views, but you were uh, kind enough to include you know, my own thoughts on the... Uh, at least in the in the end note that was you really you know did did a wonderful job of including that. Can you tell us a little bit about? I mean, if someone were inquiring today and say, "Well, God's existence, yes, but Christianity, oh come on, you know, get over it. There's no possibility that a man really was raised from the dead." What would what would you say to someone who says he, that's just totally incredible? Well, the evidence for the Christian faith that I think is actually the strongest is, in fact, the evidence that comes and circulates around Jesus himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have, the uh, on the first level, we have the existence of a testimony to such a person as Jesus Christ. The question is, if you're going to ask us apologetically, the question is, why should I trust this text? Well, the reason for trusting the text is wrapped up in the text itself. Read the text first, see what the text says, and then ask yourself, how could this text have been written? Uh, how did it come to be written the way it is written? Uh, you have the presentation of a, of a Jesus who claims to be uh, the Son of God and who claims to be able to uh, mediate God to us. Why in the world should we believe a story like that? And the tie together with the character of Christ and with the story that is told the most reasonable explanation for the very existence, for instance, of the Gospels is that there was, in fact, a man named Jesus Christ who did the sorts of things that the text itself claims that he did. Mm. So that's, uh, I want to see, have people meet the most powerful embodiment of the truth of God, and to meet that powerful person they will be met in the Scripture or with stories from the Scripture. Hmm. And they'll be met in the Scripture, I think, better than any story that I could tell. And I re- I'm struck by the um, the memory of what Dr. John Suppy at, uh, at the geology department, uh, chairman, I think, in the early 90s at uh, Princeton University. Uh, Jim, have you heard his story of his encounter? I haven't heard his story, but I've been in his... Uh in his uh, living room. Oh, wow. Okay, so you know who I'm referring to, a member of ASA, a great guy. I do indeed. Yes. Well, John Suppy uh, was walking uh, past the Princeton University Chapel over a number of uh, weeks and months. He had just recently arrived from Yale, young professor of geology there on the Princeton campus. And uh, I'll make the story short, but what happened is he, over a period of time, was curious and began sitting down now and then in the back row, just kind of snuck in when no one was looking and uh, sat down in the back row, and he heard well, at one point a lady uh, who was preaching that day, a guest lecturer, guest preacher, a lady said, well, you know, many of you students are at the college of your choice. Many of you professors are world leaders. You know, you know more than anybody in the world about your field of study, except maybe a handful of people. And yet many of you don't come up to the kindergarten level in your knowledge of the Bible. 
And when he said that, when she said that, it struck him like an arrow. And he thought to himself, that's me. He had never read the Bible. So he actually got a New Testament, started reading it uh, in the book of Mark, and was trying to tear out and, and mentally cut out the miracles. And he realized that, hey, the story doesn't make sense with the miracles cut out that way. And about a month later, he was back. They were celebrating the Lord's Supper. And before the elements were passed, the, the sermon or the, the pastor said, the, the chaplain said, you know, Jesus said to me, come you that labor and are heavy late, and I will give you rest. And John Suppy bowed his head and he said, I don't know what I'm doing exactly, but I know that I trust you now. So it was his encounter, again, with the risen Christ, but through reading, literally encountering uh, the uh, arguments, but encountering them through the person of Christ, you know, in, in a personal, bio, biographical, but a living kind of encounter that he, he uh, led him on to his own personal faith. Once again, we are so grateful to have this interview between Dr. Woodward and Jim Sire, who passed away just a couple of years ago. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it as much as we do. And if you have any questions, send us an email at information at apologetics.org. See you back here next week on The Universe Next Door. You've been listening to The Universe Next Door with Dr. Tom Woodward, sponsored by the C.S. Lewis Society and Trinity College of Florida and supported through the gifts of listeners just like you. To gather resources, continue the conversation, and support The Universe Next Door with your financial gifts, go to apologetics.org. That's apologetics.org. And join us again next time as we continue to seek the truth about life, faith, and worldview in The Universe Next Door.